This episode of Damn You Hollywood was filmed before a live studio audience. Thank you. You're supposed to applaud. Hot. Thank you. There ladies, we go. All right. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you are listening to a Rad Religion Broadcasting premiere podcast, Damn You Hollywood. And here's your host, the disembodied voice himself, Robert Winfrey. Yay! Yay, it's me. And in theory, we'll have other guests joining us. Uh, but Mark had a very hard start time this evening. And, and me. Okay, sit down. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, you were saying, no. Robert. Well, joining us now, uh, just a minute or so late, but eh, such is life. Uh, in addition to Mark, who provided our lovely intro and whose family will be the peanut gallery for the evening. <laughs> Let me hear out the peanut gallery. Peanut gallery! Woo! Oh! All right, then. <laughs> oh, my God. Are they being murdered? <laughs> no, that's just no, Jonas. We're doing an experiment tonight. There has been some interest in doing live studio audience shows, so we so we have some friends over and my kids, and um, I suspect this is either going to be our worst or best show. I haven't quite decided yet. We'll get there, though. Anyway, let's get through the introductions. And also joining <laughs> us... You're, you're good. Please continue. Just ignore sure? the, scre the screaming masses of children presumably being fed to a pit bull in the background. There are no live animals on, on in this house that are eating children. I need to specify that. Aside this I was going to say. Ladies and gentlemen, from Honeysuckle Roast Creations, Alexis. Yeah. Hannah, how do you do, Alexis? Hi. Hope you guys don't mind. I have sushi. Oh, good. Perfect. A live studio audience eating on the air. How many podcast rules can we break tonight? My food came late. I'm sorry. I ordered it and the jackass came late. I am really sorry. All right. We have two hours and a lot to get through tonight. We are talking uh, Chippendale Rescue Rangers and Pixar's new uh, animated feature, Lightyear. So, um, AKA, Alexis and, hang on, also known as Interstellar for Dummies. <laughs> Hang on, we've already got like some comments here in the peanut gallery. We have our friend Derpy Gaming, who says, I enjoyed Lightyear. Definitely not Pixar's best, should be released on Disney Plus original. We're going to get to that, pal. Um, we have our friend Zachary but, Strobel. You know, Go ahead. I was going to say, Mark, you know, we talked a little bit ago, uh, this would have been last year, about some of the people at Pixar going, you know, if you keep throwing all of our stuff on Disney+, Plus, people are going to stop valuing what we do. <laughs> and and hey, it turns out that the people who had that opinion were, like, they were hip to something, man. <laughs> yeah, they were. Um, so I know. Hey, Zach, good to see you, man. Glad you're tuning in. 
that's an MCU bleeding edge person, right? Zach actually is a wonderful author who I have uh, collaborated with on some of his books. I got to uh, do some uh, work on the covers. It was really fun for that. Uh, He has also been on uh, one or two episodes of uh, Tripped Up Trivia. Can't remember how many, but I know he's been on our show before. So he's a cool guy. Glad to have him on. Derpy Gaming wants you to put some of your sushi in an envelope and mail it to him. All right, let's get on with the show here. So we're going to talk uh, Rescue Rangers first and then Lightyear. Dave Wright should be joining us soon, presumably. Um, I think he only saw Chippendale, so watch him show up after we're done talking about it. Uh, let's go ahead and get into Chip. Alexis, you wanted to do Chippendale first, get this over with, so that we can spend a little bit more time on Lightyear and not have necessarily have to be rushed. Agreed. I think we've all got a few talking points about Lightyear that we're going to need to bring up. Chippendale, I think we all agreed was pretty good. There is one talking point I do want to bring up, and that is the Bobby Driscoll controversy. Uh, do we want to do plot synopsis first via Winfrey? Yeah, let me. I'm gonna no. I'm gonna rip through the plot synopsis so that we can have more time to talk. So, uh, Chippendale Rescue Rangers, 2022 American live action slash computer animated action adventure comedy film, uh, debuted exclusively on Disney Plus on May 20th, 2022. And the plot goes like this. In a world, in a world, populated by humans and cartoon characters, a la Roger Rabbit, Chip and Dale meet in elementary school and become best friends like you do. They later relocate to Hollywood, and after casting as extras in commercials and shows, go on to star in the successful television series, Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers, which we all saw as kids at one time or another, I'm sure, in the early 1990s. When Dale gets his own show, Double O Dale, uh, the two have a falling out leading to both shows' cancellations. 30 years later, Chip is a successful but disillusioned insurance salesman while Dale spends most of his time on the fan convention circuit. The two are contacted by their old co-star, Monterey Jack, who owes money to the criminal Valley Gang due to his stinky cheese addiction. Monty warns the pair of a trafficking operation where tunes are kidnapped, have their appearances altered, and are shipped to overseas to produce bootlegs of their works. This is so meta. I was going to say, who would have thought Disney would go into a little bit of body horror? <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, for the rest of their lives. Later that night, the two are informed that Monty has been kidnapped. They meet police captain Putty and officer Ellie Steckler. The later reveals herself to be... Uh, a big Rescue Rangers fan, and with the police's hands tied, she suggests Chippendale investigate on their own. Because, because Robert, as we all know, that's how law enforcement works. Detectives not getting it done fast enough for you? Take <sighs> the law into your own hands. It's fine. We actually learned this from Homicide, Life on the Street, if you know what I'm talking about. Uh, <clears throat> I do, and it hurts my soul. Like waiting, I was waiting for you to say something, and then I'm like, oh, maybe it doesn't catch the reference. I'm like, damn it, you talk right over me. Go ahead. No, no. I got your reference, and it hurts my soul. <laughs> Chip and Dale visit Bjornsson, the cheesemonger, which is my new wrestling name, <laughs> Monty's cheese dealer, and ask about the valley game. They are taken to the uncanny valley. <laughs> I laughed so hard at that gag and everything that followed it. The, that the, was the, the, the 2019 the cats fighting in the alley killed it for me. That was so funny. I'm going to, no lie, I watched this late at night when we were in Orlando this weekend for the stadium tour, and I, I didn't know it dozed off at points. So I'm now just catching that. I'm like, that's freaking hysterical. It, the, deliv- the delivery of it, too. They're like, well, where are we? I think we're in the valley. 
the uncanny, uncanny valley. Of <laughs> like, war- like early World of Warcraft to, uh, NPCs. And- <laughs> at which point they should have cut to Carrie Fisher from Rogue One. Um, Ow. <laughs> yeah, take that. Um, and meet the gang's leader, Sweet Pete, an adult version of Peter Pan. Real quick, um, and I don't want to do, go too off on a tangent here, but my, my, my family and I were discussing the whole like Pixar uh, in decline thing, which we're going to talk about when we get to Lightyear. I want to I discuss Chris Bailey's posit that uh, the studio has been in decline since Inside Out came out. We'll get there. But as so, but as I do with you guys, I just don't want to slam things and then be negative and not talk about well, how can we make things better? I I asked my family, my wife and my kids, how would you fix Pixar? The idea we eventually got to was Peter Pan meets the Wu Tang Clan. <laughs> hey, Lexus, be I just saw so, your soul die. <laughs> be so grateful, my computer will not support my camera at the moment. Be so <laughs> grateful. For the record, I was about to ask Winfrey why we're not viewing your lovely face, but oh my god. Because his computer, computer. is in, in desperate need of fixing. My computer's going down. I've got a new one that should be arriving this week. Mm, well, that's good. So yes, uh, Peter Pan meets the Wu-Tang Clan, because as we all know, Wu-Tang is for the children. Yes, and we all know, especially from Chip and Dale, that the best thing any animated character can do is start rapping. Anyway, um, at one point, does Peter Pan say, I don't eat whale? Excuse me, stewardess. I speak jive. Um, (laughs) Bob and Jimmy, realizing they are investigating his bootlegging business, Pete tries to capture the pair, but the chipmunks escape. The two later share their discoveries with Ellie, learning that she is shunned by Putty due to acting on a bad trip and raiding Nickelodeon Studios with negative results. (laughs) Paw Patrol attacked the captain. They say he'll never have children. (laughs) <laughs> with Ellie's help, the chipmunks sneak into a bathhouse to steal Pete's fitness tracker. They trace his movements to a dock warehouse, though it already it is already abandoned by the time the police arrive. Inside, they find a large operating machine designed to alter Toon's bodies, along with several Toon parts, including Monty's mustache. Monty's mustache. And Chip ends up with Snoopy's ear. At the police station, the pair argue over the loss of Monty and their past feud, but smell the scent of Monty's cologne. Um... Realizing either Putty or Ellie is working with Sweet Pete, the two flee the station. On At the ongoing fan con, they try to convince Ugly Sonic to have his FBI contacts for help. But Pete and his henchmen arrive, having tracked Dale using his social media posts. In the ongoing chase, Bob is restrained by Tigra and Lumiere, who have him arrested, but Chip is caught by Jimmy and taken to the warehouse. Ellie is lured there by Putty, revealing he is part of the Valley Gang and has been covering for Pete, including giving Ellie the false Nick Jr. tip. Sweet Pete has Ellie called... <clears throat> Dale to lure him to the warehouse, but Ellie sends a coded message using a Rescue Rangers episode. Dale realizes Ellie is in trouble and contacts Rescue Rangers co-stars Gadget Hackenwrench, sorry, Hackwrench, and Zipper, now married with children, for help. Dale enters the warehouse using a firework, which gets lodged into the machine and stops it before it can be used on chip. The machine goes haywire like it does, transforming Jimmy into a fairy and Pete into a giant amalgamation of various tunes. While Ellie fights and defeats Putty, Pete chases Chip and Dale through the warehouse, revealing it to also to be where the bootlegs are filmed, the chipmunks lure Pete to the docks and use a ploy from Rescue Rangers episode to trap him. The FBI, led by Ugly Sonic, arrive to arrest the Valley Gang. Sweet Pete fires a cannonball at Chip, but Dale takes the hit. Chip fears Dale is dead and apologizes for his behavior over the years, but Dale reveals he was protected by a golden pog Chip gave him. 
The Chipmunks free all the bootleg tunes, including Monty, and Dale introduces the Rescue Rangers to Ellie, who decide to open her own detective agency. As the team departs, Dale convinces them to film a Rescue Rangers reboot, which is later released to great success, success because of course it is. All right, Alexis, start us off here. Um, I know you had a whole bunch of stuff to say, so uh, go ahead and share away. First of all, comment there from Alexander Williams, Tress McNeil, and Corey Burton. They, those are the original voices of Chip and Dale from the uh, TV series. We do briefly, actually, I don't know if that's them doing the sped up versions of Chippendale in this or if they just sped up uh, Mulaney and Sandberg. Mm -hmm. I do agree they are a little ordinary sounding, but I really like both of those actors, so I was okay with it. It's so funny. I was never a huge fan of Andy Sandberg when he was on SNL, but I've liked so many of his projects since he uh, left the... um, Yes, thank you, Gavin. Since he left the show. Um, like, I, like I said, do you want to talk about the Bobby Driscoll thing? Or do you, or is there another pot you want me to talk about here? Do your thing. Okay. Just jump into it. So there was a bit of a controversy with this. And it revolves around the character Sweet Pete. Which a lot of animation fans felt was too much of a parallel to the real life story of Bobby Driscoll. Uh, Driscoll was the voice of Peter Pan in the original Disney animated film. Uh, he was also uh, the reference model. Uh, that back in the day, they would have uh, actors come in and act out scenes and the animators would sketch them to get an idea of how the body would work and react to that kind of a thing. Uh, Driscoll had a pretty promising career as a child actor. He was in a handful of other Disney projects. And basically, very similar to this movie, when he got older, hit puberty, uh, Disney gave him the boot. His body was literally found unidentified in New York, dead, surrounded by alcohol bottles. Like, real tragic. So there was a little bit of a controversy with people saying that this was kind of too similar to what actually happened to the real life Peter Pan. So. Okay. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if this would have been better if they had picked another Disney character to use as the bad guy. I will say I love Will Arnett as the villain. Mm. He always delivers a great job. I love him when he voices the bad guys. He has so much fun with it. Will Arnett really? does Lego Batman, doesn't he? Yes. Yeah, I think, I think, Will Arnett, I think typically Will Arnett's voice work um, is pretty well regarded. His voice work is so much better than his live action work. Like, I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. He gets he gets a forever pass for me for BoJack. Like that alone is just like okay, fine. And we talked about that at length on our previous TV party tonight. So the original story this this movie apparently went through several rewrites, and the original plot got released online about a week or two before the movie came out. And I didn't know it had changed. The original villain, get this, was Pluto. <laughs> Apparently, he wanted to get revenge on Chip and Dale for always mistreating him in the cartoons. See, that would have worked for me. <laughs> I could see it. That honestly, it should have been like Donald and Pluto, and it should have been about nut butter. <laughs> That's it. Thank you. I'm glad you got it. Yeah. So, but so yeah, and I was waiting for some big twist to be revealed with Sweet Pete that it was actually another tune in disguise kind right. of a thing. But How no, they kept it. That. Have been if it had been Christopher Lloyd. As uh, <laughs> as the, as the judge from Roger Rabbit, remember me, Shippendale. Of course, we remember you. Put a lot of children in therapy. <laughs> <laughs> you right, know, I uh, go ahead and 
uh, finish up with your thoughts, Alexis, on the crap of the film. I really did enjoy this movie. Like I said, I think there's a couple of plot points that could have been reworked. I think some of the earlier drafts that if they had stuck with that would have been better. This is still a really good movie. The animation is great. I love just how it really is in the same spirit as Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which you guys know was my all-time favorite movie. Mm-hmm. So the animation was really good. It ble- it actually did blend well with the live action. This didn't feel like, I don't know, like the Garfield or Smurfs movie where it's so plain that the actors have no idea what they're doing when they're interacting with the telephone or the, uh, the tennis ball on a stick kind of a thing. I this think, one, I think the movie worked really, really well as like a parody, but in the way that Mel Brooks used to do parody or like almost Monty Python in that, Instead of, you know, other, as opposed to the Wayans Brothers, where it's always so, like, obvious what they're doing, you know, it's like, oh, this is a joke. And then they kind of just state the joke out loud. And this, this was clearly a, a commentary on, on metaculture. Um, and it was, you know, also a meditation on cartoons and whatnot. And there was a lot going on with it. But it seemed very natural and organic and embedded in the humor, not stated outright and hitting you over the head with a mallet, which is, you know, my preferred form of parody. I also have to nod at all of the the crazy amount of Easter eggs and background jokes. So many. Mm -hmm. I mean, I got a bunch of them and I'm not nearly as hardcore about some of this stuff as other people. Yeah, I lost track. I had to, the first time I saw this, I had to pause it every time I saw another background joke that just made me lose my mind. My husband wanted to hit you over the head because you wouldn't let the movie movie just play. Oh, you really think Andre saw this with me? He didn't watch it. He watched part of it with me and he was like, Why is the Coca-Cola bear evil? <laughs> okay. Let me take Fair. a break. Let me take a break and shoot over to Robert. Um, Robert, what'd you think of the craft? Uh if I, of the movie itself, it's it's fine. This is not exceptional. I'm, I was with you. I'm with you, Mark. I was waiting for Peter Pan to like have another reveal. You know, somebody pulls the mask off and it's someone else, or he, or you know, partway through it, he's like, "Well, no, I've got a boss, and it's so and so." Like there, I, there's a there's a flaw in the writing here where they reveal the big villain, and then they just drag on the conclusion without any yeah. other real kind of hook to keep you invested. Yeah. Uh, so that's a pretty big flaw. There's uh, is I like the Easter eggs. I got a, I got a kick out of seeing a lot of them. I will not feel bad for Ugly Sonic. Not one iota. No, screw that thing. That, that monstrosity that was created. No. Um, this really is kind of the successor to uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit in that it takes kind of the same idea and for the record, by the way, if you've never read the book that Who Framed Roger Rabbit is based on, you're missing mm-hmm. out. I'm friends with the author, Gary K. Wolf. Great guy. Uh, yeah, the the book's also much darker than the movie. Yeah, <laughs> heard insanely. That. I can't remember. I think I was, when I was doing some research for a possible podcast on Roger Rabbit, um, I, I remember seeing like the novelization is a wild departure from the film and is much darker. No, 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 no. Not, not novelization, because the novelization comes after the film. Right. This the, is the, the film novel, with the novelism. The original novel, I misspoke. Yeah. That, what else, Robert? That's not, yeah, that's for, um, 
I've been thinking a lot about why there hasn't been something in the in the same vein as Who Framed Roger Rabbit since Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Because they tried and it was called the TV show Bonkers. Well, I'm, okay, hang on. Let's talk about that for just the briefest of seconds. In the wake of Roger Rabbit, they tried. They tried with Cool World. It bombed. They've tried with a couple of other um, joint animated live action things, and it, it didn't do nearly as well. There was magic in a bottle with Roger Rabbit, and it hasn't been replicated as of yet. I know. I, well, well, so what I mean to say is, like, why hasn't that been replicated, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I know people tried, and, you know, Cool World was badly marketed, and, like... <sighs> cool, World, cool World was a disaster because of the meddling of the producers. If you've ever read the behind the stories, or behind the scenes of the shit that uh, Bakshi actually went through directing that, mm-hmm. it's kind of terrifying what the studio put him through how it much he had about really how much kim, even yeah even kim basinger was calling for the movie to be changed oh wow yeah all right so go on robert well I, so we get to the and i started thinking about this in the after watching this movie because i watched this and that was my big take I was like okay this is functionally our who framed roger rabbit sequel that we never quite got. I don't mean a, I don't just mean like a sequel to Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I mean this blending of styles, this kind of meshing of uh, the cartoon world and the real world. That like you guys mentioned it's been tried, but it's right. never it's never really worked. Yeah. Uh, for a variety of reasons, and I actually did kind of realize I think part of why, like a giant part of why it it hasn't happened. And part of that is believe it or not technological because now everything is who framed Roger rabbit. Right. No, 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 no. Well, I mean, well, there's, there's the phantom menace, but like, have you seen the behind the scenes stuff for how Marvel films? Oh yeah. Half of it's, half it's of some it's of the, the mo- it's some of the most depressing stuff you'll ever see. Yeah. I mean, it really is like, okay, stand in front of this green box and we will then put you in Europe on a dais and pretend <laughs> that you're seeing grand scenes. Like, I know we've talked about man. this before. But I know we've talked about this before, and I, so I don't want to beat it to death or, or repeat it ad nauseum, but uh, Ewan McGregor on the set of The Phantom Menace is like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what this movie is because all he was was surrounded by green boxes and told run in this direction, run in that direction. Yeah, and was, so, yeah, and then told quit making the lightsaber sounds with your mouth. We'll add it in later. <laughs> true, true story. Yeah, yep. that's it's one of my favorite stories. Just the idea of being so excited that you're going. Vroom, vroom, vroom. I want. Well, it is. It is somewhat. Hang on. It is. It is poetically appropriate that Sir Alec Guinness had no idea what he was doing in the first Star Wars, and then the Obi Wan in the prequels also had no idea what he was doing. Clearly less green screen in it. Um, you know, he was actually, he just, no, the problem with Sir Alec Guinness was he's sitting in Tunisia going, I don't understand this movie. What the hell am I? Am I some sort of wizard? Shut up and read the lines, Alec. Okie dokie. <laughs> and, and George Lucas, who does not understand humanity, no. did not adequately <laughs> explain to him what was going on. Yeah, George Lucas didn't understand people. He went to the fucking Hitchcock School of Film, uh, filmmaking. Um, all right, but, Robert. Well, hey, so the, the long and the the long and the short of that is the technological achievements that went into Who Framed Roger Rabbit, mm. and the blending of live action with animation. Like when that when plates are breaking over Roger Rabbit's head, 
head. Like if you've not, if you've never seen the like how Roger Rabbit was made, right? That's freaking amazing what they pulled off. I genuinely mean that it was miraculous. And I mean, uh, same kind of vein, but you know, Bob Hoskins saying the first thing I had to do when I was signed on for this role was I had to learn how to hallucinate. <laughs> so Ross is a chip and Dale. You know, there's no see. There's this is the closest we're gonna get, but it's more about. In the case of this movie, it's more about like a loose setting and a willingness to be meta commentary right. than some of the stuff from Who Framed Roger Rabbit that really kind of sparked the imagination of everyone. Well, that's what I want to point to. I, you know, Robert, you and I talk about the, the lack of bravery in screenwriting in Hollywood. Um, the you and I have kicked around this idea that modern writers don't understand why things are popular and they just mimic instead of um, writing in the vein of or drawing inspiration from and doing their own thing with it. They just, you, Alexis, you and I also talked about this with Looney Tunes, where it's like, mm -hmm. they don't know why the Bugs Bunny cartoons are funny. They're not talented enough to replicate it. So they just copy and it doesn't work nearly as well. Or they focus on the wrong stuff. This is one of those rare gems. I mean, like, you know, uh, real quick, because I don't have a lot to say about the craft of this movie. I liked it. You know, my son was wildly entertained by it. I thought it was funny, um, it, but it was a somewhat slight movie. On the other hand, I really appreciated that this group seemed to understand parody and meta commentary without doing it hit you over the head Gallagher style, Robert. Yeah, uh, 100%. There's the structure of this movie is very flawed, but some of the individual scenes and individual bits of dialogue and interactions are quite good. Yes. Um, okay, so... Slightly disturbed at hearing uh, Dennis Haysbert's voice come out of Zipper. Not going to lie about that. I thought that was inspired. It's like, okay. yeah, it's like all of a sudden Zipper looks and goes, you're in good hands with Allstate. So I'm going to go ahead and just read this. This is what... So um, I've made a lot of friends lately. And one of my friends uh, told her that we were doing a review of Chippendale Rescue Rangers tonight. I don't know if she's watching, but she was like, I don't know if I'm going to see your review, but do me a favor. Here's my review. Please read this on air. So here we go. I don't, I don't know what a lot of this is. In fact, a lot of this I, have, I haven't really read before. So this might be just be her stream of consciousness, just reacting to things as she saw the movie. Let's hear it. Yep, here we go. It smells like almond butter and gasoline. I'm guessing she really liked that line. <laughs> uh, cheese for the best of me. I got, I got nothing here. <laughs> Bootleg, yeah, these are these are just lines. Bootleg me. What happened to Flounder? And then she put a laughing face. All right, here's one for you. That was pretty Alexis. good. Yeah, here's one for you, Alexis. John Mulaney, her favorite comedian is Dale. Okay, she, I guess she really likes his performance. Um, he voices Chip. Good. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. That. No, no, Mark. Th this is why I said I'm calling you Dale for this review because you're the, yeah. you're Dale. I'm the straight laced one who, when this is all over, goes and just like sells insurance and is miserable with my dog. You're the one on the. You're the one on the like podcast circuit and the conventions and making friends with all the other people from the '80s and whatnot. Like that's that's why I'm. That's why you're Dale for the purposes of this review. Yeah, well, wait, 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 Robert, but then that makes me the smart one who's being worshipped by a cult in Russia. Oh, you're a gadget hack, right? Eh, it's Russia. I was like, tell me I'm not the only one who knows about the gadget cult. 
All right. Um, no, I, no, hang on. It's, dude, it's, it's, it's Russia. There's a cult head just about everything. I know. I'm not like, kidding. Yeah, there is a real-life not- cult in Russia that worships gadgets. Okay. Um, there was the- a lot of speculation, actually, that they were going to be the bad guys in this movie because the original plot synopsis released was when a former cast member has been kidnapped, everyone assumed it was Gadget. Did the detective really use a fucking cheese slicer on his hand? Okay. Yes, he did. Cor- corrective lenses did. and then the face. Uh, Rapunzel's head coming off was great. Okay. I, I love the I did get a laugh out of that, yes. I did too. I love the Beauty and the Beast reference. Which one? There were multiple. <laughs> I don't know, the one that was a music. Yeah, guitar. there were a lot. Yeah, it's like between the, the multiple Beauty and the Beast bootleg references and of course Lumiere is a supporting character on the con circuit. I love when he, bur- when he bows and burns the guy's dollar and he's like, oh, I really needed that money. <laughs> this next one's political. Definitely saw it being the captain. I hate when it's dirty cops. LOL. It makes it so hard. Yeah, she had a personal opinion about that. When he becomes elastic, is it a reference to the Expendables? <laughs> what do you got for me here, kids? Nothing? I Sorry, I, I don't think it is. I mean, yeah, sorry. I got nothing. <laughs> Does Disney not own the rights to Gumby? I don't think they do. I think that's somebody else's IP. No, Hang on a I, second. Let me uh, wiki it. I mean, as much as owns... Disney owns, they might. <laughs> <laughs> like accidentally, like game in the purchase something else. Oh, shit. Gumby's owned by Fox. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, they do. Oh, interesting. Well, that does bring up a good point. Then why did they just didn't use Gumby in the movie? Because, because you don't. You can't have J.K. Simmons' voice coming out of Gumby. J.K. Simmons can do whatever he wants. All right. Um, I, I love, no, no. J.K. Simmons can do anything. I'm yeah, just saying. Yeah, you, you want to tell Gumby, Omni-Man? He, it's like, you want to tell Omni-Man he can't voice whoever he wants to voice? All I'm saying is if you put Gumby up there, you need Gumby's voice. And if you have J.K. Simmons, you want J.K. Simmons to do J.K. Simmons things. And it helps occasionally if he is not stuck doing an established iconic character. I think Gumby would have worked better as the detective if they didn't have Peter Pan as the main villain. I think having two former childhood icons growing up into, you know, assholes, I think it would have been too much. Redundant, yeah. Uh, Two more, and then we're going to go right into Rotten Tomatoes after this. I love the tiny umbrella before he gets hit in the head. Okay. (laughs) Classic Wile E. Coyote gag. And I like the name Zipper for the fly. So those were my friend's stream of consciousness thoughts about Chippendale. Never let it be said I don't try new things on the air. All right, um, Robert, give me like. Do you have to try them all in the same segment? Yes. <laughs> give me uh, <laughs> all in the same show. All right, um, 10 words or less if there's anything else you wanted to add, and I do mean 10 words or less. Otherwise, we'll go to uh, Rotten Tomatoes. It's a Robert, largely. Yeah. yeah, it's a. It's an inoffensive, somewhat poorly structured well-intentioned bit of uh mostly disposable entertainment it's not uh you know melania and sandberg have decent chemistry the the story needed more passes but some of the dialogue is good there's some fun references uh there's worse ways to spend time sure all right folks here we go with the critical review are you ready I said, are you 
right, we have a dead even split here. Uh, it is fresh with 80% on the tomato meter and an 80% audience score with over 500 ratings. The critics' consensus is sometimes some reboots fall through the cracks, but Chippendale Rescue Rangers picks up the slack with a fast, funny film that almost never fails. And the audience says, it may not be a new Disney classic, but Chippendale Rescue Rangers brings back a pair of beloved characters for a fresh round of family-friendly fun. Robert, what does it say about our culture where a celebrated victory is it didn't suck <laughs> like, like that's the bar now that doesn't that's not so much our culture as it is the state of entertainment in the current landscape and here's a, okay this is not a joke uh, before we get into the specific reviews just because we're, you brought this up so just very briefly sure, sure there was a movie that tom cruise put out um five-ish years ago i want to say don't hold me to that number but been a while it's called oblivion i rewatched that movie not too long ago on idle curiosity and i remember it did very very poorly when it came out right i rewatched that and i my thought as i as the movie wrapped up was if this released today i'm not saying cultural phenomenon because that's ridiculous but this movie would be much more well-received than it was when it came out. Yeah. All right. So um, last week, uh, our good friend Liz, friend of the show, she was watching because her friend Amber was in the panel. who was Jason's wife, and they do a podcast together called Almost Where the Hallmark Is on the Chair Shot Network. And one of her comments about our, about Damn You Hollywood was, could you read, like, both positive and negative reviews? Because it's like it just seems like a total downer segment. And I, I thought about that because, like, the whole thing about this is Robert and I just trashing the critics. But I thought you made at least a valid enough point of maybe sharing a, a variety of opinions about this. And we can just trash everybody. How does that sound, Robert? I'm happy to spray the block. Yeah, I, me too. I'm happy to whip it out and spray everybody. Everybody within within shot of me. Just, just spray them all. Right, Alexis? Do you want to whip it out and spray everybody? I feel sorry for the children hey. listening in the background. They laughed at that. These are my kids. <laughs> okay. For the record, to any children, re to any children listening to this podcast or watching this review who don't necessarily understand, my reference is to drive-by shootings. Mark's reference is to bodily functions. <laughs> Thank you, Mister Wizard. All right. You're welcome. So here's a rotten one, and we'll kind of alternate between these. Betty Joe Tucker of Real Talk Movie Reviews. Cartoon characters fill the screen. So many you may want to scream. You'll be busy trying to see everyone in this wild movie. That was a deeply unhelpful review. Somebody just doesn't like all the cartoons. Someone just clearly doesn't like cartoons. Yeah. <laughs> hey, another reviewer doesn't like yeah, the job. Again, like that that's a that like you said, Mark, that's an unhelpful review. It doesn't actually tell you much about the quality of the movie. Uh I do somewhat look. This is a very dense film visually in places, so you got to be up for it. Uh, well, let me rephrase. You don't have to be up for it, but there uh, there are fun things in the background, fun Easter eggs that you can catch that will enhance the experience of this movie. If not, I it's probably not as fun without them, but I don't think you lose anything. There's nothing plot centric that is tied to obscure references. Say so if you can watch if you can't watch this movie and separate out the main plot from all the background references, that's a folly on you, not the movie. Yeah. That would be correct. All right. Um, so here's a fresh one. <laughs> you want a fresh one, Alexis? 
Eric Childress, Movie Madness Podcast. A consistent chuckle fest. <laughs> a that's not, that's not fest. wrong. <laughs> that, that, that's <laughs> actually, wrong. A, I, I kind of like that, actually. because I, I want to steal that. That's actually a good line. Well, it wouldn't I be might. the first time someone from this show stole something from somebody else. That smartly takes the Roger Rabbit Muppets approach instead of just elongating a standard episode for a larger adventure. Hey, can I say something about that real quick? Because that's another thing that came up this weekend during my uh, my my panel session with my family about how you can't recreate the magic of the Muppets from the seventies. Variety shows were hip at the time. That you know, um, the humor seemingly was different. You had a very talented group of people that don't exist anymore. It's like it's really hard, and God knows they've tried, Alexis, as you know, to recreate that Muppet magic, and it, it just seemingly can't be done because you either have the problem of if you try to reflect the Muppets, the culture through the Muppets today, you missed what was funny about the Muppets back in the '70s and the early '80s. However, if you tr if you try to then recreate that variety show type of humor, it doesn't resonate because those things aren't popular anymore. So almost it's almost like we've we've gone past the point of where the Muppets have any more cultural relevance outside of nostalgia. I do still enjoy the Muppet specials. I mean, we gave a glowing review to the Muppets Haunted Mansion. Plug, plug. Well, okay, yes, and I think in limited, I think in limited things like that, where you know, so take like Muppets Wizard of Oz, Muppets Treasure Island, Muppets Haunted Mansion, and don't worry if they don't make any money because you're throwing them on Disney Plus. I think those things work for the, you know Muppets as a window for parody of a, of something. I think works just fine. Agreed. Uh, and and on Disney Plus, because then you don't have to worry that you know, about attracting an audience to a theater. And then I think you have a winner. That's why I think you and I enjoyed Muppets Haunted Mansion as much as we did. Because if mm -hmm. they had put that in theaters, it, it would have bombed. It oh, totally. On Disney Plus. Um, all right, moving on. Yeah. Seriously, uh, Disney, just, keep making Muppet movies. We're, we're fine with it. It, it. Just in that same vein, briefly... When no, when everyone threw a fit about the Muppets, that was a, they did the best, the best thing the Muppets have done. I mean, uh, they did that show that was just the Muppets, that was a loose riff on like the mockumentary style of television, like The Office or Parks and Rec, where they're producing uh, Miss Piggy, who does the late night talk show thing. See, I love that, but I, but I, I loved that show too. It was it the was fans so couldn't get the fans. Good. The fans couldn't get over the outrage that they split Kermit and Piggy up. I'm well, serious. That was a huge contention with the fans. But, the, but not only that, I don't think people liked like the Muppets doing anything that even was remotely serious. And I was like, well, I love the fact that like Miss Piggy had like mental health issues and was like bipolar and shit like that. And like I, I thought that was great, but that's not what people want from the Muppets. Go ahead, Robert. Yeah, in that same vein, like people have here's the other thing about this. People forget what the Muppets were. Mm -hmm. They have this, they have this weird version of what the Muppet Show was in their heads, and they've not rewatched any of the Muppet Show. When I say the Muppet Show is not for kids, I don't mean that it is uh, that your kids can't enjoy it. I mean the Muppets were written in a way that was that that spoke to adults as much as it did to children. It's actually why it's, it's part of the reason Jim Henson moved on from them in some respects to do stuff like Fraggle Rock and whatnot because he wanted to speak more to children than the Muppets allowed him to do because the Muppets, kids like the Muppets, I did as a kid, but they're not, they're not kid only. 
You know, the, the Muppets are so much more than that. These are adult characters. And again, I don't mean anything tawdry by that, but these are grown characters and they have grown problems in places. The way they deal with them is funny. But right. you know, when that failed to, to take off for a variety of reasons, I mean, there were a bunch of people like, what do you mean Kermit drinks? Have you seen <laughs> yeah. that man's job? We can spend the next hour talking just about like the state of the Muppets and culture, but we don't have that kind of time. We will yeah, yeah. maybe at some point when I start doing the Whiskey Rebellion again, it'll be one of those things I bring back up. But um, more on that later. Christy Puchko of Mashable, top critic. <clears throat> Beyond paling in comparison to Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Chippendale Rescue Rangers' attempt at commentating on animation's missteps feels safe and stale, as all their references are already well-worn punchlines, Alexis. Okay, clearly somebody thought that they were going to get some new commentary or a deep message out of Chippendale Rescue Rangers. Here's one for you, Robert. Bob Chipman of Movie Bob Central. Think Bojack Horseman meets Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh, get bent. <laughs> <laughs> Just stop. Just yeah, stop it's... right there. Hey, you that idiot. guy framed Bo uh, voice Bo Bojack Horseman. So clearly this is a Bojack Horseman reference matchup. Bojack this Horseman. has nowhere near enough cynicism to be even in the same sport as Bojack Horseman, let yes. alone ballpark. Okay, let's talk briefly for just a second about how cynicism is misused here. I think I yelled at all these people enough about nihilism that they've started substituting cynicism, yeah, and they're still getting it wrong. Else. Yeah, you need to move on to be yelling about something else that's that's completely, utterly misused. So cynicism in this case, there is nothing cynical about this movie. Ex look, shining a bit of a light on reality doesn't make it cynical. Those are mm -hmm. not the same thing at all. There is... There's no cynicism to be found in Chippendale. And I like cynical I mean, material. None say, here. Except for John Mulaney's tone, because I don't think that man can speak in any other language other than cynicism. <laughs> right, two more okay, fair enough. Light here because I want to spend, before we go into Lightyear proper, I do want to discuss the state of Pixar. Um, so we'll do that for the last 15 minutes of the hour, and then we'll start up again at 10 o'clock with, uh, with our full review of Lightyear for those of you listening. Sonny, Bu Sonny Bunch. And the doctor was sitting there like Johnny Bench. Uh, Sonny Bunch of the Bulwark. Uh, little guys, chipmunks, fighting for the literal guy, Disney. I don't get it. Yes, I'm not sure what he's getting at here other than... First of all, littler isn't a word, and it actually kind of hurts to say that. <laughs> I, I really don't I don't get that the point. Yeah, of the You'd think a place called the Bulwark would at least take a stand on something like grammar or the English language. <laughs> All right, last one. Uh, Chris Mello in review on. You know, I you know I say that, but there's I, I, we haven't read any of our favorite ones yet. I gotta go find my friend. You want to? You want to scroll? Scroll. Find, sure can find somebody. Chris Mello. Well, no, I already see one of our Those friends. Are... I'm gonna read her next. Um, Chris okay. Mello of Two Review Online. Rescue Rangers is a film made for Disney Plus that totally pales in comparison to the thing it invites comparison to. The the way making stinky cheese analogs to drugs can't hold a candle to the sexual innuendo of playing patty cake. <laughs> Take it away, okay. Robert. Okay, a <laughs> couple of things. That's what we're going to find out, Jonas. Oh, God! <laughs> All right, Robert. Okay. The sexual innuendo of patty cake. Go. <laughs> 
First of all, that's one of the best gags in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I, I, I genuinely mean that. When he's just taking pictures and all you hear is what you find out of the sound of the sound of hands clapping, then they're showing it to Roger and it's literal patty cake. It's a great <laughs> gag. Like that's a genuinely great gag. Yes, it is. All right, all right, all right. We're getting there. Shut up. Uh, what part of you shut up did you misunderstand? Okay, you Mark, invited them in to be the peanut gallery. They're peanutting. They are. Mark, they, they you are, are the parents. You are the parents. So I'm going to ask you. Do you want me to answer his question? <laughs> <laughs> the, the child demands answers, Robert, and I demand you do it in ten words or less. Oh God. The sound that your hands make when they clap is very similar to the auditory se- to the sound that people make when they have sex. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you all would, everybody. Good night. <laughs> all right. Speaking of patty cake and sex, Carlo Renata oh of the Kirby God. Film Critic. Um, the concept of live action has never been has. The concept of live action has been done numerous times, dating back to Gene Kelly, Dancing with Jerry the Mouse, and Anchors Away, to Roger Rabbit, to Space Jam. It works well this time, and despite the slow pacing, it's still a riot to watch. Well, thanks, Carla. Riot's a bit of a stretch. Like, you're sucking up a little bit there, but the rest of that is accurate. I'll say, it's a little forced, but not technically wrong. All right. So let's talk um, about Pixar here, and I want to share this comment. I don't know if he's still with us. Uh, our audience has been up and down. Yep. Hey, Andrew. Good to see you, man. Um, so Andrew, our good friend from the MCU's Bleeding Edge and other podcasts as well, says, yeah, I think audiences didn't show up for Lightyear because the last two Pixar films, Soul and Turning Red and Luca, came straight to Disney+. Plus. Pixar has lost some of that shine. Um well, Soul came to Disney Plus not because of a uh, decision by the executives. Soul oh, yeah. was a COVID victim. Yeah, that well, so and I, I want to get to that, but let's let's lay this out one by one. Um, so, Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey, uh, one of our positive friends here on the Rattlers and Broadcasting Network, posited an argument that I want to kick around for about fifteen minutes and fifteen minutes only. So we really got to speed through this. And he basically said, despite the fact that movies like Inside Out and Coco have made over a billion dollars, Pixar, from a uh, cultural resonance and marketing point of view, is a studio in decline. He's making the argument, and I do think there's merit to this, because he is somebody who, as Robert and I like to follow the finance of film, uh, box office take, that sort of thing, studio notes, you know, the history of development and production. Chris Bailey is somebody who studies the history of uh, and development of toys. He looks at the toy culture. And when he sees Toy Story and Finding Nemo and The Incredibles and whatnot, he sees a line, he sees a marketing and merchandise line that the culture was en- enraptured with. When they he made sees, more money in toys than they did in movie take in movie ticket sales. Right. And considering some of the Toy Story movies made over a billion dollars, that's saying something. However, since Inside Out, despite the fact that Inside Out made a billion dollars, it was a successful picture, he is arguing that Pixar no longer, and I'm going to sum this up as best I can, Pixar is no longer making movies for families to uh, enwrap, enwrap themselves in the culture of toys and merchandise. 
they have essentially become the focus feature of Disney. They are making prestige animation. Uh, they are making art film for children and families. They are not doing stuff to make toys. And uh, when he looked, and so never mind the fact that the last couple of films went straight to Disney Plus, besides Lightyear. Uh, Onward, Onward was in theaters, and we went into lockdown a week later. Luca came out the following year, and that went straight to Disney Plus. But we, I'm sorry, Soul came out that December, and we were still basically in the middle of not a lockdown, but we were deep in the heart of the unnamed virus of unknown origin at the time. Luca came out. They had intended it to go to theaters, and they pulled it, and it went to Disney Plus. Turning Red, the same thing. They had intended it to go into theaters. They pulled it, and it went straight to Disney Plus. So the other part of his argument is they're now signaling, and I think the Pixar people believe this to be true, that their stuff is not really worth going to the theaters for anymore by virtue of making these decisions. So I want to go to you first, Robert, to respond to what Chris is positing and what you think about that. Um, is Pixar, in terms of making family-friendly, merchandise-friendly film, uh, generally culturally resonant film, a studio in decline? The answer is probably yes. I think again, he's correct when you look at merchandise and what they've put out recently and how it hasn't quite had the same kind of impact that earlier ones did. That's that's indisputably true. You can look at all the hard data if you're interested in it. I think that... I think there's been some personnel turnover at Pixar over the last handful of years. Don't quote me on that, but I'm, I think. Mm -hmm. And that's had a bit of an influence as well. We're dealing with a... I think he's... When he says that they're making prestige animation films, I think that's probably accurate as well. I mean, look, we talked... You and I talked at length about Soul and what a beautiful film that is. Like in every possible way. That is just a beautiful film. Soul is a darn near perfect, beautiful niche movie. Like it is like, it, that's the kind of movie that if you didn't know it was Pixar, you might've thought it came from a 24. It's, it's that good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think the last movie they made that had not just the big financial success, but also had enough on the merchandising side of things to kind of really make a big impact was Coco. Right. But I think and, if, which, if, Coco is in a, if Coco is in a Latin American movie, I don't know if you make that argument. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. But uh, I, I do think that's probably the last one that really kind of was able to hit that sweet spot between quality, prestige-style filmmaking and yeah. appealing to children and getting all of the you know, the residual. Uh, uh, revenue streams that you want to get out of it. I want to throw this in there because I mean, it relates. You and I, because hang on, because it relates to Lightyear. There's also an absence in the last series of films, especially since probably since after Coco, uh, because Coco I think was the last one that really had it. I think you could. I think maybe you could argue Soul as well, but then we have the problem of it losing in some of the other areas, like it's too niche. Emo Pixar has moved away from the emotional heft of its early releases, its most famous releases. Um, Again, I, with the exception of Soul. Yeah, you know, with the exception of Soul. Um, 
Inside Out had it, but then it lacks in the other areas. Coco had it, and it's probably and I, and I think when, when Chris and I were batting this back and forth, we we said that Cole might have been the only uh, Coco might have been the operation out of this last series of films. The rest from onward on definitely lacked in emotional heft. And that keeps going all the way into Lightyear. I'll let you finish your thought, Robert, and then I'll kick it over to Alexis. Uh, just in that same vein, um, look, Onward, I thought, had plenty of emotional heft to it. That hit me in the feels pretty hard. Okay. Uh, that said, I do understand a little bit if you if it didn't speak to some other people. Like I, I can get I can somewhat understand why. Th- the emotionality of Onward is not necessarily as universal as other things that Pixar has done. So people understand like the comparison. Onward, I think, is another. Uh, that's fair. Is another niche example. Everybody feels the emotional heft of Toy Story three. Everybody on Earth who's ever seen that movie gets it. I think we, when we reviewed yeah. Toy Story four, we said flat out, if you don't get even just the slightest bit choked up at the end of Toy Story three, you have no soul. Yes. straight up you have to be just the most dead of dead inside yeah. to feel nothing at the end of that mm-hmm. i just uh, i watched all three to- but i didn't watch toy story co- 4 again but yeah i watched the first three toy story movies the other day and just yeah i still get teary-eyed at the end of that movie go ahead robert sorry sorry i didn't mean to interrupt i uh yeah toy story 3 i cry like a baby at the end of i ugly cry like that movie just kills me mm-hmm. toy story 4 makes me angry cry and I actually figured this out about Toy Story 4 the other day, believe it or not. I would be fine with that movie if it wasn't Toy Story. Like, if, yeah. it, was ju- if it was something generic and they told that same emotional story that uh, goes into Toy Story 4. That's a fine story. There's a lot of good stuff there. But <sighs> Toy Story 4 feels like it's designed to undo Toy Story 3. And that just aggravates me on so many levels. Um, but... Yeah, Pixar hasn't quite found the same emotional resonance in a while. You know, Turning Red's a fine enough film, but there's nothing really there to kind of hit you. Lightyear, there's one bit in Lightyear where I got a little bit... It would be unfair to the movie to say there is no emotionality to Lightyear. So, relating back... it is very weak. So you would agree with Chris that Pixar, for whatever the reasons are, and we don't have the amount of time to start really digging into it again. That's a topic for another day. Uh, you would you would you would go ahead and agree with Chris that Pixar has been in decline now for a few years. In terms of what they, not necessarily in terms of film quality, but if we're talking about if we're talking about what they used to be versus what they are now, um, decline might be too strong a word. But mm-hmm. there is definitely a noticeable shift. That is absolutely true. Go ahead, Alexis. Um, for the next five minutes or so, weigh in with your thoughts on Chris's argument, your own argument, whatever you think. Okay, someone set the timer. I do agree with I do agree with Chris because I, I brought this. Okay, I was not able to participate in that debate on uh, the messenger because you guys were having it while I was working. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't chime in, but I was able to check in every now and then. Just I couldn't respond. But I think it is fair to point out that we started seeing a bit of a decline in 2006. And guess what else happened in 2006? Disney and Pixar merged. Mm-hmm. So I do feel that I, I look at a lot of their downturns and I go, it's clear that this was Disney holding the reins more than Pixar. 
a number of the sequels uh the oh my god that god-awful car spin-off planes <laughs> and that that wasn't even pixar that was a disney. no that was that was straight disney disney right. took, took over that right but it becomes they can have it yeah i know right but it becomes clear when dis when disney is holding more of the weight on the film than pixar is because they're pushing more for franchise merchandising all that kind of stuff pixar has always produced movies to me that do not counter into that they want to tell really strong stories and i honestly feel that pixar has never been a company that wants to focus on merchandising mm. you know I mean, obviously, they do have merchandising on these just keel over and die from, you know, heart failure. <laughs> I mean, they we do. To, we don't understand. We want to speak to the heart. We want to speak to the human experience. And Disney's like, if you don't make some fucking toys right now. You know? Yeah. Now, again, getting merchandising off of it was not a bad thing. I, oh, my God. Still remember, went to FAO Schwartz in Chicago when I was a kid. And they had, I think this was when Toy Story 2 came out because they had the real Buzz Lightyear action figures, and it did everything that Buzz does in the movie. And my dad and I are picking up, they had a bunch on display, my dad and I are picking up, and we're pressing all the buttons, and we're playing with them in the store, and we're just acting like the biggest goofs. <coughs> but, yeah, I feel that the, the, the downturn for Pixar has been because Disney has taken too much control. I feel that the best of Pixar is when they are allowed to do what they want. I think that Soul was a perfect capture of that. Mm -hmm. uh, hell, I remember an interview with, oh my God, I can't remember if it was Ralph Eggleston or Andrew Stanton. They were talking about when they first, the, 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 the core directors, the first core directors, the ones who have been there since the start. Mm -hmm. They were sitting down in a cafe and they were hashing out ideas for the first few movies they were going to do. Then they talked Toy Story and Bugs Life. Right. You know, and they, they were these are the first movies they were going to do. And they said Wally was one of the first movies they discussed. Wally was one of the first movies they wanted to make. They just didn't have the technology to really do it. And they were didn't and they were scared to launch something that I don't want to say big, but that impactful mm -hmm. without having really set up credentials. Wally needed the technological under pinnings that did not exist yet and thank heavens they waited because if you if you got i don't mean this unkindly but if wally is of the same visual quality as a bug's life it's not the same movie i think also they need like i said i think they needed the roots the footing that toy story bug's life and the incredibles had given them i think if they had gone out of the front door the first movie with wally i don't think people would have reacted as well just because it is so unique and so different I mean, I, Wally's an amazing movie, but I genuinely do not think people would have gone to see it in the first place if Pixar had yeah. not, you know, cemented its name before then. Ratatouille, which is a great film. Ratatouille is my favorite Pixar film. It comes out now, it goes straight to Disney Plus. Oh, yeah. It, it doesn't make the money that it makes in theaters. There are a lot of movies that are of great quality, superior emotional heft. Not a single bit of merchandise capability, but it comes out between like a Toy Story and a Finding Dory. And so people are, go to see it because it's the new Pixar thing. It's like going to see the new Marvel, you know, like I, I don't know nothing about this, this Doctor Strange fella, but I'm going to go see whatever the new Marvel is, you know, the new Star Wars. 
Well, either way, getting to the point, I feel that Lightyear is definitely Disney taking the reins. I do not yeah. feel that this is a pure Pixar film. This was Disney saying, we want to eke some more money out of Toy Story, or we want to... Yeah, I'm with you, Andrew. I actually thought at first it was when we first heard about this. This was announced on Disney Plus Day, like, two years ago? I think that was the big... Yeah, that was the big one yeah. uh, that, Mark, you had me watch for the network. Yep. And, yeah, when they, they announced it, and there's like, yeah, we got a new Lightyear project coming up with Chris Evans and the voice. I'm like, okay, probably going straight to Disney+. Plus. Right. But it's abundantly clear that this is not a film that Pixar itself really wanted to push. I want to, um, la last question, then we're going to transition into the craft review of uh, Lightyear. I've been saying to people, people have been asking my opinion of it, and I'm like, well, I'm going to do a review Tuesday. They're like, I don't want to watch a stupid show. Just tell me what you thought of the movie, all right? So oh, well, that, that really speaks volumes. It's like, I don't want to watch your show. Your show sucks. <laughs> no, my show is awesome. People don't have two hours to spend listening to uh, film critique. It's my, my supposition, at least. In any case, uh, I think to kind of just get to the point, I will usually tell people, Lightyear feels like a DreamWorks movie. Like, if you didn't know that this yeah. was... Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, this feels DreamWorks quality. And, like, DreamWorks made some fun pictures, but they were always very slight, very mocking of modern culture. Um, they they lacked in a lot of them. I mean, outside of the, the occasional, you know, How to Train Your Dragon or something like that, they lacked an emotional heft. And But they were definitely made for the general, most general of general audiences. So, they, so, you know, DreamWorks had a lot of good swings at bat and, you know, definitely hit some triples and the occasional home run. I, they're not even as good as, Lightyear's not even as good as the, as the most average Illumination movie, which I right now, if I had to pick between the big three, which is now the superior animation studio, it's Illumination. I'll give you a second to respond to that, Robert. I can't quite go with you all the way to that last statement where you think Illumination might have overtaken. Um, I think they've overtaken. Hang, hang on. Life of Pets, well, Minions, Gru, uh, Despicable Me. Uh, Come on. Uh, hold on and let, let me make my yeah. point. Yeah. This is a little bit about a metric thing that you're using versus how versus my take on this. So let me let me lay out my criteria for this. Okay. I think if you're talking about which animation studio right now delivers the stuff that has the most merchandising opportunities, tends to be the most financially successful, I think you're right. I think it probably is Illumination. Everyone's got a freaking minion, and they're making more of them. And God bless them, they're awesome. I enjoy the Despicable Me movies. I enjoyed the Minions movie. Super. Hang on, I don't know. from the peanut gallery at the party having at my house and our live studio audience says there are currently minion pancakes at the at the IHOP. Where is everyone else? They're coming. Relax. Continue. <laughs> so in that respect So yeah, in that respect, yes, I would agree with you about illumination. I think the I think the reason they it probably still lags behind Disney and Pixar overall is a film is a film quality issue as well as um a, a little bit of name value recognition like you say pixar people know what you mean if you say illumination you're gonna get a half cocked eye and then you have to go yeah you're minions like oh yeah oh, like minion studio right i know those movies <laughs> Yeah, like, there is some so, truth to that. Pixar does have more of an iconography to its names. Again, twenty-year history. When, when was the first Illumination movie? 
honestly, I hate to say it. I think part of the, God help me. I think that also partially the fact that Pixar and DreamWorks, which I think are both on that tier of recognition, have a recognizable na- uh, mascot to their name: the lamp and the boy in the moon. Right. Illumination. Has the been- logo glows. Well, now, now, ever since Despicable Me, and then possibly even the first Minions movie. Now, whenever you see the Illumination Studio, it's always Minions. They that they have adopted the Minions as their logo, as part of their logo. Uh, um, hang on. Projects you wanted to know when they came out. Yeah. Uh, Despicable Me was their first film, so 2010. So they've got 12 years. Right, as opposed to the 20 that Pixar has. I'm again. I'm not saying this is part of the thing. I'm not saying they won't ever get there. I'm not saying this can never happen. I am saying, if you oh. want to know why I think they're probably still lagging behind in that particular discussion, this is part of it. They are still, for want of a better expression, the newest kids on the block. I I, I can't I can't do a one to one comparison of the most recent Pixar to like the most recent Illumination because I haven't seen them all. Like I haven't seen Sing Two, but I, I don't know. I, you talk to people, and it's like, what did you think of Luca? Meh. What did you think of Turning Red? I didn't watch it. I don't watch no period movies. What did you think of Sing 2? Oh, I saw it. I loved it. And that might be the American Idol effect also. People just like to watch singing. So some people, people like to watch singing. What now? What are you rambling about? I said some people like to watch singing. I, I, I didn't watch the watch same watch movies. Every, have I you haven't... not seen the ratings for American Idol or the other or the 50 other shows that copied it? Yeah, there's... People who like karaoke, good for them. Uh, I haven't seen the Sing movies either, believe it or not. Sorry, Mrs. Winfrey. You're not everybody. The vast majority of people enjoy this shit. That's why they make so much of it. All right. Um, If nothing else, unless someone has a burning desire to continue this conversation, let's get into Lightyear. So um, you're you're both right. You both kind of touched on it. Lightyear was, uh, from what I remember, um, without having to read through the development history, I thought I said something to the effect of the people at Pixar sitting around going, the story behind, and, and this is, a, and I'm bringing this up because this really does play into what's wrong with this movie. Because um, even my wife, who is not a film critic by any stretch of the imagination, pointed this out. This is supposed to be the film that Andy saw that inspired him to fall in love with the Buzz Lightyear character and want the toy. And I want to come back to that when we're done here because I don't see how they made that connection. So when they were talking about the development of the movie, that's just a sad, desperate attempt to try and tie this into the franchise. They're trying to get you to have an emotional reaction to it. And they're also, I think more importantly, and I will give them a bit of a pass on it because of the following thing. You need to establish what this is in the canon of Toy Story. Well, right? I, I like remember you can't, reading, and, I remember and that's an important thing to Pixar, have done here. I remember reading the executives of Pixar saying, Hey, you know, the movie that inspired the Buzz Lightyear character, inspired Andy to want the Buzz Lightyear toy, we should just make that movie. And then they went about deciding what that movie was going to be. Yes, my love. If I want to get any toy from that movie, I want the cat. We're going to get there. Go back and sit down. Thank you. <laughs> so speaking of... We all, yeah, I'm sorry. We all know there's going to be a million socks underneath Christmas trees this year. I'll just go ahead. Well, you know what he's referring to? A conversation that took place after the movie, which I was going to talk about this now, but whatever, studio audience. Um, we all kind of walked away from the movie going, no one would want a Buzz Lightyear toy coming out of that movie. Everyone would want the socks toy. Agreed. <laughs> not wrong. I mean, I don't think there's anything... I'll come back to that later. I'm not going to lie. I actually thought, didn't know we were going to get 
that line at the beginning of the movie that said, you know, in 1995, it, you know, movie came out and Andy saw that movie or whatever. Right. I thought when I heard, I did hear that we were going to get three post credit scenes. I thought one of them was going to be the toys watching the movie or something. And we were going to go super meta with, with Buzz watching the toy with Jesse and Bullseye and all of them going, wow, can you believe that's what I'm from? Kind of, you know, kind of like Woody's reaction in Toy Story 2 to seeing the Woody's roundup show. All right, so um, yeah, but they already did that at the beginning of the car- of the uh, cartoon that was Buzz Lightyear of Star Command, where Patrick Warburton voiced um, Buzz Lightyear. Admittedly, never saw it. All right, a framing device explains that in 1995, a young Andy Davis saw Lightyear, the film that inspired the Buzz Lightyear toy line. Buzz Lightyear, a space ranger in Star Command, and his commanding officer and best friend Alicia Hawthorne explore the habitable planet. The Connie Prime with their new recruit, Feathering Feathering Hamston, who we just call him the rookie, who also fights in the UFC and was formerly the lightweight champion. Arr, hi, Robert. Not accurate. <laughs> they are they are forced to retreat to their exploration vessel after discovering that the planet hosts hostile life forms. Buzz damages the vessel during the retreat, forcing the crew to evacuate evacuate in order to conduct repairs and continue their journey. One year later, the crew have constructed a nascent colony along with the necessary infrastructure to conduct repairs. Buzz volunteers to test hyperspace fuel, a key component of repairs. However, after a four-minute test, he finds the four years have passed on to Connie Prime due to the effects of time dilation having, from having traveled a relativistic speed at relativistic speeds. Buzz is introduced to Sox, a robotic, robotic feline, and continues testing the hyperspace fuel. With every test, four more years pass on to Connie Prime until eventually over 62 years have passed. During this time, the colony develops. Alicia raises a son with her wife, Kiko, subsequently dying of old age, and Sox improves the fuel's composition, allowing it to obtain faster than light speeds. Against the order of his new commanding officer, Commander Burnside, Buzz uses his uh, new fuel composition for a successful hyperspace test. Upon landing, Buzz discovers 22 years have passed during which Takani Prime has been invaded by Zyclops robots led by the mysterious Emperor Zerg. Buzz meets up with the members of the colony's defense forces, including Izzy Hawthorne, uh, Alicia's now adult granddaughter, Mo Morrison, a fresh, naive recruit in Darby Steel, an elderly paroled convict. While initially reluctant to work with them, Buzz eventually warms to them. Together, they plan to attack Zerg's ship and destroy the invading force. Following an encounter... Zerg abducts Buzz, bringing him aboard his ship, where he reveals that he is an older Buzz from an alternate timeline, because of course he is, in which he escaped the Burnside's forces. Uh, yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't think anyone in this chat liked this twist. Nope. Um, aided by the effects of time the dilation. The dumbest out. thing they could have done. Yeah. Also the most hackneyed. Like, I, I, I'm, re- I'm really done with, with this sort of thing. Aided by the effects of time dilation, he traveled to the far future, encountering a technologically advanced and abandoned vessel. He assumed Zerg's identity by wearing his signature mecha suit and traveled to the now post-present to obtain more hyperspace fuel from Buzz in order to travel further back in time and prevent the exploration vessel from landing onto Connie Prime in the first place. However, Buzz refuses due to the implications of the possible temporal paradox that would result in such actions, which would wipe out the current timeline and everyone from it. Meanwhile, Izzy, Moe, Darby, and Sox board Zerg's ship to assist Buzz. After a chaotic assault on the ship, Buzz and his comrades in arms destroy the ship and escape. However, Zerg, having survived the ship's destruction, arrives and attacks Buzz, grabbing the hyperspace fuel. As Zerg prepares to destroy him, Buzz shoots the fuel, causing it to explode and incapacitate Zerg. 
With the fuel gone, Buzz wishes to stay on Takani Prime. Upon landing, Burnside arrests Buzz, but relents, allowing Buzz to revive the Space Ranger Corps. Buzz elects Izzy, selects rather Izzy, Mo, Darby, and Socks to form the core of this organization, much to Burnside's surprise. Buzz and his team are then sent off to a new adventure in Parts Unknown, where the Ultimate Warrior resides. In a post-credit scene, Zerg is revealed to have survived the explosion because, of course, he has. Um. <laughs> all right, let me real quick. I, I want to talk about this, Alexis, and kind of get your response to it. When thinking about, uh, when thinking about Steven Spielberg and George Lucas, and the whole idea of like what were their inspirations, what specifically what were the inspirations for Star Wars, where there's a parallel between what they saw as kids, what influenced the projects they made that made them famous, and what Toy Story is then aping, mimicking, drawing drawing as a reference. We're talking about the sci-fi serials of yore, the Black and Whites, the Flash Gordons, the Buck Rogers, that era. And so when thinking about what would the Buzz Lightyear movie be, it would be Flash Gordon or Buck Rogers or something along those lines. It would not be this. It would not be Lost in Space. Ever. Which is what this was. No. This, this movie starts out so good. I love that some of Buzz's early dialogue is taken from the first Toy Story movie. The terrain seems a bit unstable. No word yet if the no readout yet if the air is breathable, and there seems to be no sign of intelligent life anywhere. I was giggling like a little kid in my seat when he read that line. Mm-hmm. Chris Evans, holy crap! He, I'm scared. How much he sounds like a young Tim Allen? He was perfect. He sounded exactly. How you would want Buzz Lightyear to sound. Animation. Of course, I know it's Pixar, so it's like, well, of course it's good animation. It's Pixar. They wouldn't turn out crap. But I'm still going to give credit that the animation in this movie looks incredible. Mm-hmm. It was so yeah. beautiful to look at. And the, the setup, the idea that he is going to continuously basically jump forward in time to try to make this, this work. I thought it's like, this is so creative. I like it. And then we get to the part with Izzy and Robert, you're going to love me for saying this, the completely unnecessary edition of Taika Waititi. <laughs> that, and I character, love... that character is so useless. They both are him and the, the convict. Okay. I have the whole time I'm watching this, I'm sitting there going, so why are they here this movie would have been so much better if it was just izzy buzz and socks those characters the only time that either darby or mo did something that made me laugh is the bit where uh, the the robots have those like teleportation disc kind of things and you have that bit where they're trying to act trying to get hold on to and they keep dropping and it just sort of turns into like a portal thing jumping out going back and forth and most are like oh look at that that legit made me laugh that was kind of funny but I think that was just more from seeing too many videos of people playing Portal doing stupid shit like that. <laughs> so that part made me laugh. But the rest of the time, I was just like, why were these characters added? They add nothing. And the twist. Yeah. Okay, oh. so I saw this on a matinee today. I went to the one o'clock showing. Not a full house, but decent amount. Mostly parents with little kids. It's, it's summer. They're taking their kids to the matinees. A lot of little kids, a lot of them not shutting up. <laughs> Apparently, matinees are where parents say, go ahead and talk through the movies. And no one else here is actually here to watch it. 
none i can hear these kids asking all these questions when older buzz shows up when thanos's dad is the villain <laughs> seriously that's cool that james brolin's still getting work but it just it was just it's like they gave no indication that this happened that buzz split into two timelines when he did the hyper jump this comes completely out of nowhere and frankly it ruins the mysticism of zerg we hear about him in the first movie we see the toy version of him in toy story 2 and they always build him up very similar to darth vader this evil galactic empire this threat to the to star command just baddest of the bad and it's like it's an old dude in a suit trying to right a mistake he made and he's not necessarily coming off as evil just you you can have someone trying to rectify their mistake and still come across as evil look at the bad guy in up he yeah. was awesome yep. he's a great villain this was very poorly handled ruined any content I, you know again i just saw the first toy story the other day i watched through tons of classic pixar movies while getting ready for the episode of tripped of trivia that we unfortunately had to cancel <laughs> and you you hear the kids saying it's like take that zerg his lasers light up and i was just like this right. movie is not gonna make these kids want to do this yeah that's where i kept coming back to um <sighs> robert i want to i want to throw this at you and i'm gonna throw this in the bed and see if it'll sleep with madonna um, we were talking about what? Um, we were talking about how you watch Star Wars just as an example. And again, Star Wars is this amalgamation of all these things that Spielberg and Lucas watched as kids and wanted to do their own uh, spin on. You walk out of Star Wars in 1977 and everyone wants to be Han Solo. All the boys want to be Han Solo. Okay, I mean, the occasional wants to be Luke Skywalker because they want to hit somebody over the head with a broomstick. But most of us. <clears throat> If you were a cool kid, you wanted to be Han Solo. Why did you want to be Han Solo? Because Han Solo, Han, Han Solo is cooler than Jesus. Cooler than the other side of the pillow. He's got swagger. He looks cool. He has a cool outfit. He's got cool hair. He shoots people dead before they can shoot him. He do, you know, He's a pirate. He's a pilot. He does all the cool hero shit. And, and he does it with a, you know, sort of a flip attitude, right? Everybody wants to be Han Solo. And I'm watching this movie, and I'm thinking to myself, like, why would Andy want to be Buzz Lightyear? What about Buzz Lightyear? What are his characteristics that a young boy at home would be like, I want to be that guy? And I can't, I mean, perseverance maybe? But how many kids are, like, tapping into man's perseverance to, to, to right or wrong? What, what else is there about Buzz I mean, like, the first time you meet him, you know, he's doing the narration, and he immediately gets, and I know we've talked this to death, but here we go again, he immediately gets cut cut at the knees by his cooler, hipper, more now woke partner. You know, why are you narrating? <laughs> like, it's supposed to be a funny line, but right from the very start, you are, and throughout the movie, we once again come across a main character who the writers themselves don't want you to cheer. The writers themselves want you to uh, identify with, with, you know, with the misfits that he'll partner up with at the second half of the movie. They don't really want you to to cheer on Buzz. And so again, I go back to, but if your central conceit of this movie is this is who Andy wants to be, and so he buys the toys so that he could have the play. I'm not getting that from this movie, Robert. Not not in any way, shape, or form. And yet here we go again with another, for whatever the reasons are. 
another example of of Hollywood wanting to kill its own baby. And I don't, I mean, I know why. We've talked it to death, but I just don't know why we have to keep going through this over and over and over again. And then wonder why these shit doesn't make any money. All right, let's let's do a couple of things here. One, if you were making this movie in 1995, it would in no way, shape, form, or fashion resemble the film that we have. Nope, not even a little. Nothing about this movie says anything about the time period it allegedly came out in. Nothing. That's a problem. I right. think you hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, coming out of this movie, no one would want the Buzz Lightyear action figure. Buzz isn't cool. Right. He's just not. Sorry. Like, there's, he does. He's not as undercut as I was afraid he was going to be. Let me let me start there. I was really. <laughs> yeah, he's not a, he's not a passenger in his own movie. He does have right. agency and he does perform actions, some of them heroic, but he's not cool. And that's a real problem. The twist with what Zerg is <laughs> and his whole stupid plan. <laughs> you sound pained even talking about it. Okay. I wish we had your What's camera on, about... man. I just want to see how much pain oh, you're in. I'm a tumor. I'm a tumor. I'm a tumor. <laughs> My my head is down in my my face is down in my hands. My head would be pointed at the camera. You could visibly watch my bald spot increase. <laughs> what about what about right? Oh, I got it. Is this how you like it? Yep. Is this, is this what you want me to Dream, do? That, more, more that, that's like that's where I yes. am. Yeah. All right. Cool. Let me know when you finish. You just had to make it weird. <laughs> I'm sorry. How long have you been on the show? <laughs> I, I still hold out this really stupid hope that one of these days Mark will just let an innuendo lie and not have to push it beyond the point where it becomes stupid. Hi, I'm Mark. Have we met? <laughs> I, under I understand you have to make them, Mark. I do. I'm not hoping for you to not make them. I'm hoping that one of these days you'll just kind of leave it as an innuendo rather than going two steps too far, but... <laughs> What's my? I'm sorry. Have, I, do you not recall the scene of look? He's over there. He's beating that dead horse. <laughs> Go on, Robert. Please, please move this on as we are rapidly running but, out but of time. What's my rule? I have one rule about time travel. I have one. I have only one. This is all I ask of your movie. If you're gonna do time travel, literally it. All I ask. Do you remember what it is, Mark? No, but I want. I, I remember what it is, but I want you to tell the audience. I, I don't remember what it was. Shut up, Alexis. <laughs> all I ask for is internal consistency. Literally yes, all I ask for. Thing. We didn't hear a word so you said. It, Not you. Well, I didn't hear what Mark said. I said that's the one, the very thing. Go. So if you can't give me that, don't do time travel. If his plan is, I'm going to go back and make it so this never happened, you've already altered the past and you're still here. You didn't actually change anything. Your entire goal makes no sense within the context of the world you are living in. You are not going to rewind in time. You, didn't ev you did not evaporate into the ether when the timeline reset and Chris Evans instead of Josh Brolin became Buzz. James. Didn't happen. Uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, sorry. It's not Thanos. It's Thanos' dad. 
Yeah, yeah. Which just makes it so much better, actually. <laughs> uh, but you didn't change. You didn't go away. You didn't fix anything. Everything that happened to you still happened and is presumably still happening. You didn't change anything. Going back in time would not actually alter the trajectory of what's going on. It wouldn't change anything. All you have is your own perception of it. And if you're there to stop it from happening, you're in that time. You're still an old man. You didn't change anything. It, it, it boggles my mind when you decide I'm going to have a time travel plot. You, if you choose to do this, writers, anyone out there, listen to me. I will save you from yourselves. <laughs> Write out whatever your rules are. I don't care what they are. Figure out what they are. Chisel them into stone. And do not change them once you decide on them. It can be as goofy as Back to the Future, Back to the Future is consistent within the rules it sets for itself. Hell, even Endgame no consistent. Yes, Endgame. Consistent within its own rules of time travel, though introducing time travel to the entire MCU was a terrible decision. Different topic. That's a, that's a whole other thing. Whole other thing. But if you choose to go down this road, decide on your rules... Write them in stone and understand how it affects your story. Do not try to play loosey-goosey with this. People will tune out. You lost the young males at the Lightyear movie. <laughs> young males were going to see Top Gun for the third time. No shit, I've seen Top Gun three times. I don't know. The teenage males were going. They're like, like this was the this was like the you know the the elementary school kids should have been watching this. No, those kids thinking. were seeing Jurassic World uh, Dominion for the third time. And getting brain cancer because of it, I'm sure. That's a <laughs> stupid movie. That's going but, on the poster. Jurassic this is, this World is still Dominion the will give you brain cancer. This is still the point, though. Like This is supposed to be what inspires a generation of children to this end, and you couldn't get them into the theater. Right, They're tuning quick. out before they even step in. And once they do step in, you lose them halfway through because of your stupid, theoretically too smart for its own good writing. Stop this. Really? So, Stop no, 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 this. Hang, hang on, hang on. Hang on. Because we, we got to keep aware of time here. And I do want to say this before anything continues. I don't think this is an, inc and I don't think this is a bad movie. I think my problems with it, I mean, you feel free to disagree and I'll give you your chance to respond to this. I want to say the following. If, and I, and I said this earlier, if you are just looking for standard general audience uh, fare without the emotional heft, you're just looking for a fun action-adventure DreamWorks level uh, animated motion picture, Lightyear is fine. It is almost the very definition of fine. Stuff happens, there's action, there's brightly colored characters. Um, I'm not in love with the scenery so much. I feel like it's all kind of one location, and that location isn't particularly colorful to look at. But it is what it is. Um, it's one of those where, when you know, it, it, was, it was two hours, I think this was. Um, hour and a half, a something like that. Yeah, hour and uh, 105 minutes. It was like, I watched it, it was over, and then instead of it staying with me like the usual Pixar fare does, um, immediately went out of my brain. That's what's wrong with this movie. 
by any yeah. other studio, if this is this what was the Peanuts one? Blue something or other? Blue Sky. Blue Have Sky. it been had a Blue Sky, DreamWorks, and any of these other Blue Sky's uh, uh, gone. I, I, yes, Alexis. <laughs> I'm saying the history, the grand scale of history of animation Sorry. Sorry. studios that were all bought by Disney. Had it been any one of those, nobody makes this complaint. It's like, yeah, it was cool. Because like Robert, you and I, like we, we over the years, we did like the Angry Birds movie. We did, um, you know, we we did the, the Hotel Trans Transylvania's and stuff like that. We haven't talked to any of the Ice Age. I did that one with my son. But you know, we did Madagascar. Because we did, there were so many of these animated movies that we talked about over the years between Long Road to Ruin and Daniel Hollywood, and we kind of walked away from a lot of them, going, they were entertaining. They were exactly what they should be for the audience they were intended for. Lightyear was entertaining, and it was and it was absolutely good enough for the audience it was intended for. You sure about that? Who was well, the yeah. audience it was intended for? That was I mean, younger kids aren't going to get a lot of it. And if this was made for fans of Toy Story, basically our age group, because we were kids when the first Toy Story came out, we when were I, I, close to Andy's like, age. I'm talking about basically like kids, like my an audience my kids age and their parents that are not deeply embedded in the culture and history of animation the general family audience i think most come away with this you know with the same feeling that i did it's a slight movie but i was at least entertained but that's not what you go to a pixar movie for and that i think is its deepest failing robert here's the other problem with the scenario you laid out mm. we're going to talk the money in a minute in just a minute so was this really the right movie for the audience? I think that's a fair question. Um, I don't know how well that speaks. When talk, talking strictly about the craft, I mean, it, you know, I think this was a well-made, competent picture. It might have just, in hindsight, missed the target. Um, but I think it's a well-intentioned picture. If all you want, again, if all we're talking about is strict X's and O's of filmmaking, there's problems with this movie. The middle is kind of dead. Yeah. The there, the entire like cadre we mentioned this like there's a, there's at least two to three too many characters here that serve mm -hmm. no purpose other than bad comic relief. They are unnecessary. Should not be there. The twist with who Zerg is is a terrible, terrible writing decision. Just the worst. Tell me I'm not the only one. I thought that the twist, because I had heard there was a twist. So I figured Zerg was going to be someone we knew. I thought it was going to be the rookie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how I was cool would that, I thought that was who, because it was like, well, I mean, at first I thought, oh, it's Burnside. But then they show the clip of Burnside Retreat. I'm like, okay, so it's not Burnside. So yeah. who's Zerg? And then I'm like, oh, what if it's the the, the rookie? What? If, and then all of a sudden, and then you see the older buzz. I'm like, ah. Uh. Hey, wrap up, guys, because we we have two more segments in 30 minutes. Yeah, so yeah. so I, I think there's a big question about whether or not this was, in fact, the right movie for the audience. There's a lot in, in this movie that is acceptable. There's some really gorgeous animation that has been touched on. Pixar is still the gold standard with this, bar none. The bit when he is repeatedly trying these um, hyperspeed flights and we just see the world age around him in fairly rapid succession. I actually found that somewhat affecting. Like, that's well-executed filmmaking. That's probably the best thing this movie does, is show him 
kind of slowly realize how much he's losing touch with the world around him in that respect. But there's a lot of really bad comedy that serves no purpose. There's characters who don't serve a purpose. You neuter what who's supposed to be your title character entirely too much. Your twist and conclusion is not great. I don't, I don't like the conclusion to this. Like, no, we're not going to go home. We're just going to, we'll start our own, we're stalled our own space command with blackjack and hookers. Like, <laughs> how is this a victory? That would have been a much better movie. <laughs> not saying it wouldn't. I'm just saying. Uh, it's, there's a lot of problems with the writing here, but some of the dialogue and interaction is okay. There's some great callbacks. I feel like a full third of the lines that Buzz says in this are cribbed from either the either the three Toy Story movies or somewhere in Buzz Lightyear of Star Command. Like they they liberally sprinkle his dialogue with these things. Yeah, I mentioned that. Um, I thought that was that that part had me really excited. I love how much they did that. Even even some including visual the callbacks. Like, I mean, when he, me, aren't you? Well, there's, there's a visual callback to Toy Story 2, actually, when he flip, front flips over Zerg and lands behind him, because that's what they're doing in the opening of Toy Story 2 when they're playing the Buzz Lightyear game. That's how he tries to shoot. That's how Rex tries to shoot Zerg and fails and gets, like, just lambasted by, just blown out of the water by Zerg, because that's not how you're supposed to fight the boss in that game. Uh, th there's a lot of that that's some fun callbacks and helps kind of tie together the notion that this might have been the thing that inspired a lot of the merchandise and the associated products that came after it. But there's too many problems of the story. There's too many problems of execution. I don't know how a theoretically highly advanced spacefaring civilization like this would not be aware of time dilation before the first time they launched buzz around the sun, which would affect, which would affect time anyway, because the sun is so dense with gravity and gravity affects time. Uh, really didn't make any, just, was a was baffling to me that they were not aware of that beforehand. Just really made them look like idiots. Uh, but like I said, there's some interaction. The animation is really good. There's some good action set pieces here, believe it or not. I actually wish they'd leaned more heavily into that. Mm -hmm. But this is... Ultimately, this is unbelievably forgettable. And the stuff you do remember is probably the stuff that's not good. All right. Speaking of not good, let's talk about the money. We're in the money. We're in the money. All righty. On a budget of $200 million, that's Marvel money right there, friends. Marvel money. Uh, this film has made a paltry $91.7 million. Not a good start, Robert. Nope. And in further humiliating news for this poor beleaguered studio was the number two movie of its opening weekend. Um, what do you think, Robert? Do, you, do I do it? Do I do it? You want me to do it? Let me say do it. Let me do it. You're going to do it anyway. Just go. All right, here we go. I'm doing it. I did it. Yeah, this thing, this thing is not doing well. It's kind of bombing. Um, this is a lot of egg on the face of Pixar, and it's probably got Disney studio executives contemplating a jump out the window. 
Um, the number one movie of the weekend from June 17th to June 19th was Jurassic World Dominion, holding its place from the previous weekend with only a 59.2% drop, Robert. What do you think? You know, democracy is the theory that the people should get what they want. You should give just give it to them good and hard. Um, if yeah, you idiots out there... Want good and hard. If you idiots out there think that Jurassic World Dominion is something you wish to see more of in some way... You're not going to like where this goes. You're not going to like where this story ends. I'm just telling you. You're not going to like it, but you have only yourselves to blame. The number one domestic movie of the year so far, Top Gun Maverick, fell, fell, fell from two to three. Um, Doctor Strange, which I believe tomorrow um, is going to be on Disney+. Plus. If it's not today, I can't remember which day it was. Uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Missed Opportunities fell from three to four. Bob's Burgers, which even my dad said sucked. Uh, maintained its spot uh, after four weeks. Of the number <laughs> uh, bad guys fell from four to six. Everything, everywhere, all at once, which Robert and I spent an hour last night just giving a proper hand job to, uh, <laughs> came in at number seven. Uh, Downton Abbey. Mark's penchant for exaggeration rears its ugly head yet again, but yes, we both loved the movie and gave it every one of the flowers it deserves. Anybody know what streaming service that is that's gonna go it's to? Because I do want to see it. Yeah, it's currently PVOD. It's an A twenty four film, so it'll show up. With, it could show up anywhere in any number of places. A twenty four doesn't doesn't have a particular streaming partner. It kind of goes where it's whoever buys it. But right now, it's at the moment, if you at the moment if you want it, you have to buy it from Amazon. You can't even rent it. You have to straight up buy it. Yeah. Oh, I hate that. I mean, I want to see it. I do. Just mm-hmm. you know, I'd like to rent it. Downton Abbey fell from six to eight. Sonic maintaining its spot in the number nine spot. Brian and Charles debuted at number 10. Firestarter currently also gained date on Peacock, which is not a real service. Right, Robert? Right, Robert? Did I, say, did I do it right? Did I say the thing? You did say the thing, and I appreciate that you're coming around to reality about Peacock. Doesn't have a... <laughs> okay, here, here's my rule about this now. If you mm. don't have a search function that is at least usable, you're not a real streaming service. Fair enough. Uh, the Lost City, which I just watched recently, uh, fell from 11 to 12, but I think it's now available on Paramount+. Plus. Crimes of the Future, 12 to 13. Uncharted, 13 to 14. Watcher, 14 to 15. Phantom of the Opera, um, 22 to 16. Apparently, it's in a bunch which of theaters. Which version now. of... Hang on, which yeah, version yeah, of that is that? I'm yeah, curious. I was going to say, what, what is... The, uh, it says yeah. Pictures Classic, so make of that what you will. I'm not looking it up. The Roundup, 15 to 17. You can 18- just click the the thing that's right there like click that version of the movie it should give you which one it is i don't want to click anything um it's the phantom of the open oh (laughs) moving on um (laughs) reading is fundamental okay uh, like i'm sorry apparently we have all gone illiterate (laughs) speaking of illiterate abandoned uh debuted at number 18 the witch part two the other one Debuted at 19 and falling from 19 to 20, deep in the heart of Texas, uh, deep in the heart, a Texas wildlife story, 19 to 20. And then other debuts that were official competition at 22, Nakama at 27, Bitterbrush at 36, a man of integrity at 43. All right. The worldwide stats, as we know them to be, Doctor Strange, just inching, creeping, walking, talking. Not going to get there. Towards a billion dollars, maybe. Uh, yeah, sorry. Years. They just announced they're releasing, re-releasing Spider-Man: No Way Home into theaters again, aka they're trying desperately to recoup Morbius money. Uh, people are going to go see that before they go see Doctor Strange again. At nine hundred million dollars, 
Uh, unless it gets, unless they find a way to cut Doctor Strange to be suitable to China, uh, we're done. And it's Top not Gun like Maverick. a nine hundred plus million dollar take is bad. Top Gun Maverick at nine hundred one million dollars, nine hundred one million dollars worldwide has Paramount executives doing cocaine and bathing in champagne. They um, are willing to give all of their money and all of their drugs to Tom Cruise for the next year. Yeah. Um, they don't have to. The Church of Scientology supplies them with all the drugs he could ever want. The Batman petering out at $770 million and falling to number three for the year. Jurassic World Dominion rising up the ranks at $634 million at number four. Watergate Bridge, $626, number five. Uncharted, hanging in there, baby, at $401 million. Fantastic Beats and the Secrets of Boredom at $401 million. Number seven, Sonic the Hedgehog at $399 million. The bad guy somewhat behind hey hey it. hey people people because sonic is still in theaters in some places please get that above fantastic beasts i beg of you if there's any if there's anything i ever ask of you the movie going public please i need sonic the hedgehog 2 as a much better movie to beat fantastic beasts in the box office like i don't ask for quality to trump your enjoyment all the time but for the love of god this one time please can we fix this Quick question, Watergate Bridge, is that a China, Chinese film? That is the sequel to uh, the Lake Ch uh, Ching Jong from last year. So, yeah, that's that's their okay. like, big Oh, that, that yeah, the movie that we said the Chinese government was apparently forcing people out of their house at gunpoint <laughs> to buy a ticket. All right. Um, we'll see this more than once. <laughs> two Kill the Kill rounds out our top 10 uh, at $217 million. And Morbius, currently at number 13, at $163 million. Wah, 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 wah. Hey, hey, Morbius, Morbius, Morbius. Your your worldwide total is not even the gross domestic product of Guatemala. Suck it. I still love the fact that they're trying to fool Sony executives into releasing it for a third time. <laughs> All right, I support so... this troll job. I really do wholeheartedly. I, I stand by what I wrote in the chat. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, I apparently work at Sony. Uh, so yeah, Lightyear is is. I mean, it'll probably just barely get over two hundred million, and if it does, they should like to thank their lucky stars. Um, this weekend, there's nothing really that's in, necessarily directly competitive with it, but uh, can't wait to see the Black Phone this weekend. Yeah, I'm gonna see it this weekend too. We're gonna be reviewing that and Elvis uh, this weekend. Uh, sorry, next Tuesday. Um, but uh, I'm curious, Robert, what do you think in ten words or less? Black Phone or Elvis makes the number one movie of the weekend. May I? Uh, you're going to make me say it, aren't you? And I hate yeah, I was going to say it. Say it. Robert, you and I are both thinking the same thing. <laughs> Jurassic World is going to... You think Jurassic World 3 Pete's? I think... Me? I do too. You, re <laughs> you really want to tell me that Elvis or the Black Phone is going to unseat either of those? If I Either of those to, is going to unseat. I don't think it'll be the Black Phone. Don't get me wrong. I don't think the Black Phone makes the number one movie. I think it debuts at either two or three. But I movies of that caliber never. Well, they, yeah. they're too niche market. They're, it's not a family film. It can't. No, no, and I get that. Um, I'm not making an argument for the Black Phone, but I think Elvis has shot has got has a shot at number one. I wouldn't be too completely surprised by that. It I, has a shot. I, I'm with you, Mark. It has a shot. But if you force me to put my money on the table, I'm with Robert. I would give the three P to Jurassic World. 
I, it's just, I, you know, the, my only reticence to, you know, agree with you is I didn't feel like Jurassic World got a lot of buzz or any kind of like audience and, you know, wide audience enjoyment. I mean, when we talked about it last week, Robert, you know, that, that whole show was a disaster. But I don't recall us talking about like there being a lot of wide enjoyment or repeat value in watching it. It was like everyone came out to see the big dinosaur movie and they saw it and they went meh and that was the end of it. Holy crap. That yeah, was but you're two talking hours about... and 39 minutes? Yikes. Yep. Damn, Baz. The, the, the actor playing uh, Elvis Presley will be gaining weight in real time. <laughs> I, I am also uh, interested okay, okay, to look, see this. You know what? The, I'm sorry, I'm sorry I if would... I can. I, I'm interested to see this because this actor who played Elvis, he's also been cast in the next uh, Dune movie. He's going to play, can't, I don't know the character's name because I can't pronounce half the crap in Frank Herbert's world, but he's the character that Sting played in the 1980s film. Go ahead, Robert, real quick. Ooh. I was half convinced they were just going to merge that character with Batista's because they really needed to introduce him. That's um, that's Harkonnen's other son. Hey, yeah, Austin uh, Butler's going to play him. Here. Let's go. Um, I think Top Gun Maverick has a better shot at uh, unseating Jurassic World Dominion than Elvis does. All right. Well, after that, then there's a bye week. No, sorry. I keep saying that. Uh, Minions, July 1st, will be the number one movie in America, uh, if not the Easily. world. Easily. Easily. Um, which is then followed by Thor, Love, and Thunder, which will be the number one movie. Okay, which all the other studios just say, thank you and good night. Um, it'll probably repeat in the second week, even though Nope is the wide release, but it's a horror movie. It's, it is what it is. I think people will go see it, but it'll debut at number two, and that'll be the end of July. So... Um, there's almost nothing to talk about here as far as the money goes with Lightyear. This was an un, almost an unmitigated disaster for Pixar. Uh, anything else about the money, Robert, real quick before we move on? Uh, not especially. Um, I'm curious to see how Nope does. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people were off-put by us, mm -hmm. as they well should have been. It's not a very well-constructed film. Uh, I like Wonderful... It. It's great for the first two thirds, but your entire finale falls apart un under anything approximating scrutiny. Yeah. All right. And here we go with our that's final. That's kind of a problem. Like the twist at the end. Review of the evening. Are you ready? No! I said! Critical review oh, of the last thing, yeah, but just before we get into this, the last thing about the money. Yeah, Disney. I hope you learn at some point that courting controversy is only is a bad idea. I was kind of wondering why no one brought that up. They didn't want to spend another hour on. Okay, you know. uh, well, then th look. Let, let me do five. Let me do like fifty words on this. We don't need to go in depth about it because it's a stupid controversy. Go ahead. You had one of your characters for the first half of the movie be gay, and you had her have a family, and guess what? No one would have cared. No one would have cared. Absolutely. I mean, look, the Chinese censors would have cared. You have to deal with that. Fine. Whatever. No one would have cared. One single iota about this, except you decided to get on your soapbox and go, look at what we have here. Look at how inclusive we are. Look at what we're going to do. And you pissed off a giant chunk of your potential audience in doing so. I guarantee you, 
if you had not made a deal out of this and just released the movie, would there have been a small percentage of nut jobs who were pissed? Sure, probably. But you would have had their money and everyone would have said, it's a nothing scene in this movie. Grow up. But you wanted controversy. You wanted the Twitter kudos and you lost a lot of money because of it. You should learn. I don't object to that character being gay for the record. No problem with that whatsoever. But when you decide you're going to make a big deal out of this, don't be shocked when this bites you in the ass over and over and over again. Um, Slight contention with that, because if I remember correctly, they didn't actually get on their soapbox until the attacks first started, to which they, they got up on the soapbox and said, we're proud to have included this scene. We're not editing it out. I... After they edited out. <laughs> I'm just saying, I, 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 if I'm wrong and Robert's right, then I retract my statement, but that is the way I remember it. Okay, my understanding of what happened was Pixar puts a gay kiss in the kids' movie. Disney was like, the fuck you are, and they take it out. And then between the Florida, don't, gay, don't say gay thing and all, some other stuff that happened the Pixar people and the LGBTQI community jump up and said, the hell you aren't. And Pixar and, and Disney folded and put it back in again and said, look at us, look at how inclusive we are after we get scolded. And it's like, my only thing with this is I, I, I don't care what side Disney takes, just take a side and stick with it. Like stick to your guns, whichever side you're like, if you want to be inclusive to, to the point of cutting your nose off to spite your face and in international markets, I'm with you. I really am. Be brave. Be brave and lose a dollar in the Middle East and in China. Hey, or, maybe, you, know, you know, maybe don't Photoshop major characters out of your posters for international releases. Just throwing it or, out there, or, you hypocrites. Or, 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 or chase every dollar you possibly can, but then, you know what, stick to your guns and tell the people at Pixar, nope, no gay people. Sorry, we'd like people in China to see this movie and we'd like to make money. I don't care which one you're doing. I honestly don't. It's your studio. Pick one. Just pick one and stick with it. Don't, don't be all wishy-washy. Don't be Charlie Brown. All right, um, 76% on the tomato meter, 85% audience score. Lightyear settles for being a rather conventional origin story. Duh. Instead of reaching for the stars. But this gorgeously animated adventure ably accomplishes its mission for straightforward fun. Uh, eh, I don't know. Fun. Not really. <laughs> All right. Not, um, not too much fun to be had here, actually. <laughs> All right, Alexis Haina's spiritual. Not none, but not as much as you think. Alexis Haina's spiritual sister, Amy Nicholson, of Film Week, of KPCC, KPCC NPR Los Angeles, top critic. A fairly emotional story about aging and mortality. Oh, get bent. Not, I'll say, not really. Not a fa even fairly slightly. emotional. When the only way you can wring a bit of emotion out of an audience is aping a much better movie that genuinely kind of broke my heart when I was watching it. You have, no, you don't get even to say fairly emotional. No, absolutely not. Terrible. All right. <clears throat> um, Matt Conway, a battle royale with cheese. The end product is handsomely crafted, yet hollow mission to infinity and beyond. Kind of you forcing know, the catchphrase, but technically not wrong. Yeah, I'm, I'm docking points for the terribly forced catchphrase, but the, the, the meat of the criticism there is correct. Uh, Charles Kaplinsky of Real Talk with Chuck and Pam. 
The story loses a bit of steam as it progresses. Standard action fair taking center stage. Again, not to I actually would wrong. I did, I did mention that the first half of the movie is actually pretty enjoyable. But yeah, after the 20-year jump or something at the halfway point, all of a sudden everything just peters out. Definitely. So, again, and technically not wrong. Mostly correct. I found him. I found my friend. Hi, Kevin Carr, a fat uh, guy at the movies. We've missed you. Oh, we missed you. Correct. Um, a guy that I actively bully. Uh, Kevin Carr. You don't even have like. Hang on. No, 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 no. Stop for just a second. You don't even actively bully him. You point me at him and say, "Robert, go." <laughs> Sick him, Winfrey. You're my little. <laughs> Kevin Carr says to Robert Winfrey of 401mania.com from Fat Guy at the Movies, it doesn't have the impact of Pixar's best, but it's a fantastic space adventure with a lot of heart and sweetness woven into the story. You, sir, are impressed by aging bricks. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. Your standards are impossibly low, sir. <laughs> this isn't even... You know what? No, 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 no. This isn't even a good space adventure. They spent so much time not in space. I can't even give you that. I would give you sci-fi. I will not give you space adventure. Absolutely not. Agreed. Go ahead, Alexis. No, I just said agreed. It's the only time they're in space. They're basically in low orbit over the planet. All right. This is the last one I'm going to read because it's a doozy. All right. Yes, sir. Can I just do one thing? Only one thing? Okay. I would assume not. I feel like he was, he was no guy, such an idiot. <laughs> that a child was able to be a better critic than him. Okay, I don't know if you heard that. My son said, I'm a child and I'm a better critic than Kevin Carr, a fat guy at the movies. I love Beach Jonas. No, no, no. That's not true. And we all know it because Jonas liked Morbius. Ah! Ooh. Ooh. Ah! Ouch. I'm still a child. <laughs> you can't have that both ways. <laughs> but, but yes, he. But yes, I don't. I can't understand. I can't. I can't point out like the like. Yeah. I want to end this on time. Please get to a point sometime this year. I can point out dumb things in movies, but I can't point out like personality fails and like. Okay. I love how your son's disappearing into the green screen, so it looks like you're talking to a ghost. <laughs> That's okay. I was completely looking off camera before. All right. I need to... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, last one, then we're done here. Robert Winfrey of the Screaming Boy Podcast. Richard Lawson of Vanity Fair, of top critic, Red Star, best of the best. He gets paid for this. He says... Lightyear is nearly the Pixar nader that is Cars 2, just with a spiffier paint job. Bull. Yeah, no. <laughs> Sorry. I We're all this in agreement not... Lightyear is not... Yeah, it's like, do not insult this movie by dragging it down with Cars 2. That, that was not... pain. This is not nearly as shallow, vapid, unrefined, self-obsessed... Uh, and no, this is not that. This is not good. I would I would argue this is not a good movie, but it is not Cars Two. That is, 
That is not accurate. <laughs> All right. Well, folks, that wraps up our reviews of Lightyear and Chippendale Rescue Rangers. We're going to be doing a lot more of these double-up reviews and trying to make the best use of our two-hour time slot as we can. Trying to get more of these movies seen and reviewed, uh, but I don't have as much time to do them as I used to. So that's why we're doubling up on like the Black Phone and Elvis and not splitting them over weeks. That's why Chippendale wasn't a part of a different review and was lumped in here with Lightyear. So this might be the structure going forward for a lot of these where we uh, we have more than one picture we got to get to. So, or we're just not going to be doing as many pictures. So uh, hope you hope you enjoyed our, the, the format change this evening. With that said, go ahead, Alexis Haina of Honeysuckle Rose Creations with your plugs that pay your bills. See, I said it for you this time. I don't pay you, Alexis. Your, 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 your jewelry pays you. That's what pays the bills. Only the jewelry, not me. I don't pay nobody. Huh, I said it before you this time. <laughs> That's that accurate. Make it better. <laughs> Honeysuckle Rose Creations, where fashion meets fandom at the intersection of geek and chic. Shops are fully stocked on Etsy and handmade at Amazon. We just finished an appearance at Smallville Comic Con in Smallville, Kansas, aka Hutchison, Kansas. Very fun little convention. Had a blast getting ready for a double whammy in Texas. We're going to be working the Greater Austin Comic Con and Comic Palooza in Houston. I'm spending two weeks in Texas in the middle of a rapidly rising hot summer. I'm going to suffer. I know it, but I'm looking forward to the conventions. Uh, we're adding a couple of new things to our shop here before uh, we head out there. Fans of Stranger Things, be on the lookout. We got some new merch coming out. As always, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That again is Honeysuckle Rose Creations, the intersection of geek and chic. If you enjoyed Alexis this evening, and why wouldn't you? She's pretty awesome. She knows her stuff. She'll be back with us July 21st for the Ms. Marvel review. Uh, it'll be Thursday night at 10, unless I have something better to do, in which case I'm going to move it. Um, and then she'll be, we've had to we've had to reschedule this twice now. We are eventually going to get to it. Upload season two, August 23rd. And then um, in a rare afternoon review, because I can do that, because she does not have a day job as such, uh, we will be reviewing only Moitas in the building season two this October. So... <laughs> Stay tuned for more Alexis Haina of the Streaming Boy Podcast. Should also right. add, we have two more shows coming out with Jesse that we will be recording this week. We're going to be taking a look at the final season, final episodes of season one of Hell of a Boss. And we are going to be discussing the Ninja Turtles comic book series, The Last Ronin. This is something Jesse and I have been wanting to talk about for ages. We had to hold off until the final book was released. So looking forward to it. Issue number one was published in 1977. Um, it's all things to get out. Robert, you have a minute to do your plugs. Go. You can find me covering mixed martial arts action and professional wrestling over at 411mania.com. I cover AW's Dark Elevation on Monday, MLW stuff on Thursday, WWE SmackDown on Friday, and whatever the UFC is doing on Saturday. Last week, I also reviewed TNA Impact Slammiversary, celebrating 20 years of, they're not TNA Impact, they're just Impact Wrestling, but celebrating 20 years of that company, which has gone through more ownership changes than... MGM studio make a more appropriate reference but they're still chugging along and they're still turning out content so god bless them i i covered that my reports for any and all of those can be found over in those zones saturday this last saturday is ufc on espn plus uh, ufc on espn 37 violent night of fights if you want my full report mma zone of 411mania.com including clips of the finishes there were many they were great there was a standing spinning back elbow that put someone out on his feet Lovely stuff. 
uh, this week. Again, that same bout of coverage. Uh, if you want a full preview of the upcoming UFC event, that would be UFC on ESPN 39. Uh, not as good a card on paper, but hey, who knows? Hopefully it'll be good in practice. I host the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. It go. I record Sunday evening. So Monday, first thing in the morning, if you're interested in mixed martial arts, I can uh, be your companion on your drive to work. As I talk about the fights, what happened, what is going to happen, give my thoughts on the technique, matchmaking, news of the week, et cetera, et cetera, all that good stuff. It is your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Any and all of the support that you can throw towards those projects, I appreciate as we all support, uh, appreciate all the support you're able to give. Damn you, Hollywood here. We thank you so very, very much. All right, folks, please like and subscribe on YouTube. For those of you who hung out with us tonight, uh, in the chat room and put your uh, your thoughts in there that we shared on the board. We appreciate you. Hey, for those in the live studio audience, let me hear you. That's right. <laughs> Thank you. For okay, I didn't say make dinosaur sounds. You're not a pterodactyl. Um, please, like, please like and subscribe on... Go away. <laughs> uh, please like and subscribe on YouTube. Uh, for those of you who actually listen to traditional podcasts in their audio form, as God intended, we are on... Uh, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, wherever you can find audio podcasts, we are there. Please like and subscribe. And hey, give us a rating. That helps us out too. For Robert Winfrey, for Alexis Haina, for the Pterodactyl, I'm Mark Radledge. Be well, be safe, and behave.